You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. I'm not gonna sit here another day. Spring break. How are we gonna get enough money? I don't know. We're the only ones still here. Spring break. I'm tired of seeing the same thing. Spring break. Is there a chance to see something different? Spring break. Just give that cash. Pretend like it's a video game. We can do this. Spring break. This is Annie Rose Malamed, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. I'm here today with Susie Exposito. Hi, Susie. Hey, Annie. How's it going? Good. I'm excited to talk about this uh, weird movie. I haven't talked about (laughs) a film on the podcast yet from the 2010s, so I'm pretty excited to dive into something contemporary that I was actually sentient and conscious for when it came out. I actually saw it in theaters, and that movie that we're discussing today is Harmony Corinne's controversial 2012 film Spring Breakers. So Susie, before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, I am a professional music journalist. I currently work at the Los Angeles Times and I previously worked at Rolling Stone where I founded the magazine's first Latin music section. Um, I am from Florida. I, well, okay, okay. I was born in Jersey, uh, <laughs> confession. Important. I was born in Jersey City, New Jersey. And then I, my family made the, uh, 
I guess like my, my family followed the typical diaspora trajectory when you're like Cuban American. Um, <laughs> my, my dad's family arrived from Cuba uh, to New York. They um, lived in Spanish Harlem. And then I think when I, when I was like three years old, everybody moved down to Miami because they were like, the shit sucks. It's cold. We, yeah. We, <laughs> can't live here also they got tangled up with the mob but i'm not gonna get into that Classic. Uh, <laughs> as as one does um but yeah like they basically got into some shit in new york and um relocated to miami and um yeah so so i grew up in miami um my parents split up and I moved to Jacksonville with my mom when I was in seventh grade. Um, and so I would go back and forth between Jacksonville, which is, it's like in the Northeastern tip of Florida and go back to Miami, which is the, you know, on the, on the Southern tip of Florida, extremely different cultures. And I feel like where spring breakers um, takes place is St. Petersburg, which is kind of a blend of the two. It's a, I mean, it's on the Gulf coast. Um, lots of Cubans settled in Tampa, but it's like St. Pete has like this, I mean, it, it's got the spring breaker energy and then it's got, it's got elements of like Miami culture, which is very much about like excess and, you know, flashy neon everything but it's also very southern um so you know james branco playing riffraff and just like having the thickest like florida southern accent was it, it was just like a, a cherry on top um and I, I saw spring breakers for the first time in a movie theater um with my partner at the time and a friend from Florida, from Jacksonville specifically. And we saw this movie in Brooklyn and, you know, everybody, we were, we were in the, the court square theater and like the theater was full of people who I think went in expecting girls gone wild. Mm -hmm. And then they were sorely disappointed. Like they were looking for girls gone wild in the, like really, I don't know, like sexy way, <laughs> right. sexy in, that, in a way that like validates like straight men. Um, but they weren't looking for girls gone wild in a way that's like actually like women shooting people uh, and getting away with it. So <laughs> and Harmony um, plays with that expectation, obviously. It's Absolutely. like a, a giant troll. I mean, Harmony Corinne is like one of the original trolls. Like, totally. So, it, so Harmony Corinne directs this film, stars James Franco, Vanessa Hudgens, Selena Gomez, Ashley Benson, and Rachel Corinne. Um, Gomez, Hudgens, and Benson and Corinne play portray four college-age girls on their spring break in Florida, where they meet in an eccentric local drug dealer, Franco, who helps them in a time of desperation and their eventual descent into a world of drugs, crime, and violence. So, Harmony Corinne. Who is Harmony Corinne? He's kind of like an enfant terrible... <laughs> uh, in a way, what do you know about him and his work? Like, what do you think of when you think of Harmony Corinne? 
Um, I think of kids. Yeah. I remember that movie. The funny thing is, is that like, I never, obviously when kids came out, I was like, what? Like I, I was in elementary school when it came out and there was no way I was seeing that movie. Um, and, but I was like really into indie rock as a teen. So I got into Sebado before I got into Harmony Corinne. <laughs> and I remember... <laughs> classic music writer yes. um <laughs> so then i remember uh when lou barlow did his side project uh the folk implosion and they did that song natural one that was in kids and that's how i found out about kids but then i knew that like chloe Sevigny was in it rosario dawson was in it and so without thinking and <laughs> i was in girl scouts until i was like 18 years old um, because remember I, I grew up in like kind of a semi-rural part of Florida, um, at least in high school. So <laughs> I remember having a sleepover with my Girl Scout troop and we went to Blockbuster and I was like, oh, I've always wanted to see this movie. Apparently it's like this, like cult classic is what I told my friends. And we were like 15 years old. And so <laughs> like... <laughs> There were like five of us like at this sleepover watching kids. And I think that I scarred some of my friends by accident. I mean, like I was a little bit scarred, but <laughs> <laughs> kids is so... a scarring film. It was a scarring film. Like I, I watched I mean... it myself. I watched it in middle school and I was like, what the fuck is that? Wow. Yeah, I was. I mean, but I was also like, obviously what I do now relates heavily to this. I was I was like already on that tip of yeah. like edgy controversial controversial films um and kids is interesting because it's directed by larry clark written by harmony corinne mm -hmm. so you get like both of these i mean they're just so they're very similar artists yeah. like larry clark and i do plan on doing kids on the podcast one day maybe you can come on for that uh, <laughs> but Larry Clark is a really he, he you know I was like I was getting confused because they're so similar and I was like oh Harmony Korine did another movie that takes place in Florida Bully but that's actually mm -hmm. a Larry Clark film so I you know which I knew already but yeah they're very they're both very interested in how to, like white poverty like they're yeah. That's that's their focus, both of them. White exploitation films. Yes, they're white exploitation films, exactly. Um, at their core. <laughs> and yeah. like I think the movie that Harmony Corinne did previous to this one was actually Trash Humpers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is another it's very different than this film. This is like a slick Hollywood type film and Trash Humpers is like kind of is like shot on VHS I believe and is it's just like a really different feel um so mm -hmm. I knew what I was getting into when I saw this in theaters I was like okay it's a Harmony Corinne movie so I kind of know what I'm gonna get into but I think a lot of people who had been unfamiliar who were unfamiliar with his work just kind of saw the previews like you were saying and went in and they were like yeah girls gone wild um <laughs> and i remember the audience reaction was like so shocked when i yes. saw this in theaters absolutely it was the same in brooklyn right 
Yeah, and I saw I I think I saw it in Manhattan at the time. Um and yeah, people were just people were shocked. Um so he had devised Corinne had devised the concept for Spring Breakers over several years. Uh, his initial desire was to create a sensory film, whatever that means, that was more about feeling <laughs> than action and place little importance on narrative or plot, the idea for which came later, which you can kind of see in the film because there's a lot of like interspersed parallel cutting, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, just kind of going back to sensations and aesthetics and certain lines repeated over and over again. So it's definitely Prang break. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Prang break. Prang break. Prang break forever. That's, I mean, that's the line that people think of when they think of this film. It's funny, too, because I felt like this movie was such a big deal at the time, but it's kind of felt like a little bit of a flash in the pan since then. <laughs> like, I feel like we were at a turn in the culture, like, right when this movie came out, like, right when yeah. stuff like this started to get, like, heavily criticized and, like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of pushed out of the narrative of the culture. Like, I, I yeah. feel I feel like this couldn't even be made now, almost. And it was only 2012, which feels like yesterday to me, but was actually like eight years ago. (laughs) So it's, yeah, it feels, I can't believe how far, how long ago that was actually. Yeah. So there was the second coming was announced in 2014. It's probably never going to happen. (laughs) Uh, Jonas Akerlund was, attached to direct with Irvine Welsh, the sequel, without the involvement of Corinne or the original cast. I don't think that's happening. So I want to take a moment to talk about each of the actresses and their careers. I feel like you're going to know about this a lot more than I do, actually. Um, (laughs) The Alliance, interestingly, the Alliance of Women Film Journalists Awards granted all four actresses the award, Actress Most in Need of a New Agent, for this film. So they got, yeah, I feel like the, the criticism that was swirling about this film at the time was that it was like misogynist garbage. Right. Right. Um, and Harmony Curran specifically chose actresses that we know from family friendly type projects. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So Ashley Benson, who plays Brit, was on Pretty Little Liars. Uh, Rachel Corinne is Harmony Corinne's wife. Uh, Never seen her in anything. I'm just going to say. Didn't even know she had a wife who could act. I mean, I guess. She's (laughs) so young, too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which, okay. Really weird, but... Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Selena (laughs) Gomez, who was a Disney star, and Vanessa Hudgens, who was on High School Musical. And uh, what we, you know, I feel like the last I heard about her was her COVID controversy where she (laughs) (laughs) went on live and was like, oh, if people die, like, I feel like she was joking. But it was. I think she was high. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think she's such a stoner. At, right. Like I, I didn't take anything she said seriously. But I mean, you know, she is an extremely, you know, wealthy woman compared to the rest of us. So right. It's not like, I don't know. It's not like I was expecting Vanessa Hudgens to have, you know, this this clarity on a pandemic. 
and what <laughs> yeah. to do about it. Right. <laughs> I want. I wanted to hear any thoughts you had about the choice for of these actresses, particularly Selena Gomez, because I know that you've written a lot about her. Um, yeah, I recently interviewed her, and I think that one thing that struck me about her casting in this movie was i mean just just the fact that she even auditioned for this movie is wild to me um at the time her mother was her manager and her mom was like a stage mom for a long time like selena gomez used to do pageants in texas and um you know like her her mom was there with her through the disney days um and and Selena was also like kicking off her music career. Like I think that this was part of a concerted effort to help her break away from like her Disney past. Yes. Because, you know, I mean, she she had no problem getting roles in kids' movies because that's what they'd known her for. Um you know, up, up to that point. And I guess at the time that she did this movie, she must have been like uh she would have been like 19 years old. Um so it was it was time for her to be a little more grown. Um, but I will say that she fired her mom as her manager after doing this film. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't said why. <laughs> but her mom's not manager anymore. I'm like clutching um, my pearls. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, she did she did talk about in an interview like very long ago probably like around the time that the film came out she did talk about it because a lot of people were shocked about selena gomez doing this um but yeah she said that her mom was like all for it her mom encouraged her to do it i don't i mean apparently they watched kids and they knew (laughs) i don't know if they watched that was like i feel like gummo was also um an extremely challenging film uh, but yeah, like, I, I think that this was part of, uh, Selena's debut as an adult, Absolutely. you know, and the press at the time <laughs> posits as much, right? Like there's yeah. a lot of comparisons to Miley Cyrus and mm. like those, both Selena and Miley Cyrus, like breaking out of the Disney mold, even James mm-hmm. Franco says it. In an interview. So what what I found interesting was like a lot of the press focused on James Franco and not mm. these four women. Um, they mm. weren't really interviewed much for it. And I so most of the interviews I found were with James Franco, but he talks about the actresses and he talks about how no one would expect Selena Gomez to do a movie like this. Um <laughs> It's so the film was kind of panned by feminist writers, but like generally praised for its portrayal of debauchery, excess, and white privilege running mm-hmm. amok, um, mm-hmm. which is complicated as well by the presence of Selena Gomez and Vanessa Hudgens in this role, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I want to talk about when we get to kind of talking about their characters more. Yeah, um, definitely. So James Franco's performance was praised for embodying white rappers like Riff Raff. Uh, If you don't know who Riff Raff is and you're listening to this, please take a second to look him up. (laughs) You'll see exactly how close it is. 
uh, Riff Raff announced in July 2013 that he was going to sue the creators of Spring Breakers for $10 million <laughs> for sampling his life without his permission. Um, but nothing came of that. I have a quote here from writer Manola Dargis of the New York Times who reviewed this movie. Um, and this kind of her quote here kind of captures everything that I think this movie is about. So Mm -hmm. Aliens Masquerade, as well as his feud with a black gangster, bring the film back to an earlier scene that indicates Mr. Corinne has more on his mind than surface shocks. Britt and Candy are sitting in a class in which a professor is murmuring words like reconstruction, war, and African-Americans. One of them draws a heart and the words, I want penis, on some paper. They laugh, and as the professor keeps talking, one pantomimes giving oral sex. It doesn't matter that they're not paying attention to their history lesson, because at that point they haven't yet pretended to be gangsters and robbed the restaurant, giggling as they held a squirt gun to a black man's head, playing thugs without the burden, without the history, without the cost. So I really think that this film, I think there's like a cult following around it, much in the same Mm -hmm. way that there is Fight Club. And the point is completely lost <laughs> for yes. it, uh, in within the cult following of the film because it really is such a pointed indictment of mm-hmm. these people. Yeah. Can you can we talk a little bit about James Franco and his various allegations and persona? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I know that I did a. Um, you know, in the beginning of our conversation, I talked about how much James Franco nailed the uh, accent demeanor of like the the creepy white rapper from Florida, because I guarantee you, I know like several guys like that. Like mm-hmm. I grew up with guys like that. Right. And it's like uncanny how <laughs> he portrayed them. But I think part of it is, is that he plays like creepy guys so well because he is a creepy guy I know. um the, the way that um and I, I think you know i mean we, we can definitely expand on this later but like uh i feel like that conversation he has with selena gomez's character faith when she's like i don't want to be at this party anymore and he's we're having fun like i like you so much like I can totally see James Franco doing that to like one of his NYU students because he he had a thing for NYU students. You know, he'd be like chasing them around um, lower Manhattan. And like that was that was an open secret. Um, I mean, not not really a secret because <laughs> he definitely got roasted on on Twitter and Instagram and screenshots were revealed. Um but yeah, I, I think that he's he's one of those people who fits that role really well. Yeah, he's really good at it. I was when I was watching this the other night, I um I was saying to my friend, I was like, okay, James Franco is like joining the pantheon of sexual terrorists that like haunt <laughs> me, mm-hmm. and that's that includes 
it's like actors who are so good at being creepy men where you're like yeah. kind of captivated by the performance because they're so good at it. But you're like, this is how you are, though. Like, mm-hmm. and James Franco is one of those for me. Nick Cage is one of those for me. Like, watching yeah. him lose himself in a role is fascinating. And I'm also like, you're on drugs, though. Like, you, have, <laughs> you, like, you have, you're actually like this on some level. Now that we've talked about the background of the film, Let's get into let's give a blow play by play of the plot here and talk about some of these larger themes. So the credits even define the visual look of the film. What would mm-hmm. you how would you describe the look of this film? The cinematography. It's it's basically it it harks back to those like old uh, Girls Gone Wild commercials from like the 90s and early 2000s where it was but but uncensored because I think here here you see everybody's boobs right um <laughs> you see ass everywhere and it's there's no censorship tiny, here. tiny little white butts yeah tiny little white butts um yeah, it, it opens to like dubstep and like a montage of Girls Gone Wild footage, but for like the millennial generation. And it's like, you know, people people doing keg stands and stuff like that. Um, and I think that it's it was supposed to start like that. Uh, when I was in the theater, I could hear guys being like, yeah, this is going to be good. And I distinctly (laughs) remember behind me. So like I was, (laughs) um, me and my friends were like sitting in front of this group of, of couples, I guess, like there was like a triple date happening behind us. And it, it was these, these straight couples. And one of the guys who at first was like, yeah, like I already love this movie by the time they get to uh by the time it gets i mean you know when, once the once uh alien and the girls start like robbing people and then like it gets really dark <laughs> uh, or it gets even darker than it was before um he's like oh no i thought this movie was gonna be cool this is not cool you know <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i yeah, Harmony Corinne is such a troll. I think that's just the best way to describe him. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, he totally pulls the rug out from under you with this opening. It's, yeah. I mean, it's like you get like the the really like fun text too in the credits, like this very mm-hmm. like neon, you know, the whole movie is like very neon, like candy coated. Um, aesthetic and we get like this crazy fantasy spring break sequence of like all of these white college students having raucous fun there are some this is really i really feel strongly that this is a movie at its core about whiteness so Mm -hmm. while there are some people of color in the fantasy sequence it's really mostly white college students partying yeah. on the beach to Skrillex. <laughs> and yeah. all the, I was like, oh God, remember when people listened to Skrillex? <laughs> how did we how did I make it through that? And <laughs> I How did we do it? I remember him from his Screamo days. <laughs> <laughs> when he was in from first to last. 
they were from Florida. And then what happened was they hooked up with Skrillex, who was from LA. Okay. Who joined a band from Florida, from Tampa. Well, the Florida to LA pipeline is tried and true yeah obviously yeah both like extremely excessive neon environments yes Uh, and this contrasts with directly with the next scene which is like cut to hungover college life there's my little pony in the background my little pony features heavily in this film (laughs) and uh vanessa hudgens uh hitting the bong so what is the feel that you get from this college setting the campus what do you like what do you automatically think when you see this um i think that they definitely nailed the I, I feel like the environment is definitely a character in the movie. Um, I don't think you can really set anything, any movie in Florida without Florida being a character because it is a truly one of a kind place. Um, I do like the, you know, I, I love the scenic views of like the sky because Florida sunsets are like, like there's, there's nothing like it. It just looks like um, every, everything's the color of like Sherbert. So um yeah there's that but also like florida in i mean most of florida is like pretty depressed it's beautiful but you know especially in the gulf coast and i i have relatives from here who you know unfortunately it's like i you know i have i have family from there who became addicts because it's just like such a common thing Mm -hmm. um over there i mean just i mean everywhere in the united states but i feel like um especially in the gulf coast where like these economies rely so much on tourism um i have a lot of friends who went to college there i personally went to college in new york so i didn't experience the the florida college experience i had never gone on spring break before i'd never actually done a spring break trip because i'm from the place that people go to for spring break and when i was actually in college like there was no fucking way i was going anywhere i was working so same yeah (laughs) i i feel like these girls like they could have done that and then they turned to a life of crime um maybe we should have turned to a life of crime (laughs) right Instead, I was, you know, I was like nannying and like working a same, you know, food service job. I was like at my most boring in college. I like party more now. I feel like I was really, yeah, I was like in my head in the book working at that time. I was the same way. Like I was all about, you know, I hit the books. I went to a lot of protests, but I, for the most part, I was like working my ass off. So I wasn't one of those like fun, flirty college students. I was fucking tired and malnourished right I mean I know for myself like I was there on loans and scholarships so like Mm -hmm. the privilege of being there was not lost on me so I was very much like this is if I'm paying so much for this like I'm going to get what I'm supposed to get out of it and I think the with this college the first thing that strikes me is like this is not like an Ivy League school. This isn't like a yep. New England, like tweed jackets, <laughs> like walking across the campus. This is like a Florida State school. So yeah, 
a lot of the students who are there are kind of just there to put in a bid, like mm-hmm. get the degree, leave. Obviously, these girls are kind of just there because that's what they're supposed to do. They don't really want to be there. Um, yeah. So the the first voiceover we get is of a professor discussing the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about African-American people post-Reconstruction in the South claiming mm-hmm. freedom and liberty. And like Manola Dargis says in her review, the the girls in class, Brit and Candy, <laughs> are completely not paying attention to this yeah. at all. And it's their history. It's Southern history. Right. And go ahead. I think that they went to school. Okay, so this is this is where the movie does get confusing. I think that they were going to school in Kentucky. Okay. And because I think it's Candy who's wearing a Kentucky sweatshirt. Oh, okay, good to know. And then and so then you realize like in the in the youth group that Faith is a part of like her her friends tell her to watch out in Florida. They're like you better pray <laughs> when you're in Florida like Right. Um, yeah, they give her this monologue. So they go to school in Kentucky. And the thing is, is that it's like, even someone like Faith, or I mean, the thing is, is that none of these women are coded as anything but white. Like, I, we don't get into even though Vanessa Hudgens, I believe she's like half Filipino. Mm-hmm. Um, and Selena Gomez is half Mexican. Like neither of them. Like we, we do not get this uh, dimension in, in the characters they play in Spring Breakers. Um, but, you know, both of them would definitely stick out in Kentucky. Um, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're playing very like basic white women in Kentucky. This, you know, their professors talking about the Jim Crow mm-hmm. South and like, you know, black people going, uh, going to fight in world war two, just to come back to Jim Crow South right. and not, able to like live safely in the united states and then meanwhile these girls are like just miming pantomiming blowjobs um i think that for them in this movie a huge theme in this movie and i i think generally in you know for white people in the u.s it's like i feel like black culture is definitely like um where white people like they treat black culture like tourism yes you know they go to Florida, they get fucked up, they fuck shit up because that's what they're there to do. And then they can always leave. And yes, it's the same. I think white people interact with black culture and, and generally I think like cultures that are not <laughs> for white people, like um, whether, whether it be like certain like Asian cultures or like whether it's like Latinx culture, like white people can go in and out as they please and they don't have to deal with any of the repercussions that actually come with being a person of color. So these girls, you know, and, and also like, you know, the character alien, like that's the thing that his nemesis who's played by Gucci Mane calls him out on rightfully. So he's like, he's like, you're on my turf, but also like you were, you know, you, you were just like a white boy. Um, I can't remember what I think I wrote down what he said. But basically, he was like Gucci Mane was was clowning Alien for just being some random white guy. 
who taught him how to swim once um who suddenly was like was basically behaving like a tourist in his culture and i think that's like what underlines the entire film is the way that white people conveniently get to tour everybody else's culture but don't experience any of the reality I really feel I feel strongly that that is essentially the thesis of this film. I mean, mm-hmm. even in these beginning scenes, um, like when so there's some foreshadowing that happens like uh, Selena Gomez, um, aptly named Faith, is in a Christian youth group meeting. Uh, she's obviously like a different kind of girl than the other three. So like everything is set up in the beginning, right? To go mm-hmm. where it goes. Um, Brit is squirting water into her mouth in a water pistol that will come in later in front of a poster of Lil Wayne. There's the <laughs> omnipresence of hip hop culture and how mm-hmm. it's it's always there but there's no actual engagement with black people in their mm-hmm. history um as evidenced by them ignoring that lecture and then there i mean it's actually very smart film in that way and there's these coded moments where the girls actually have to interact with black people where it's like it's just well i mean we'll talk about it when we get to that scene um so the girls outside the meeting, like you were saying, were telling Faith that Brit Candy and Cotty, who's the third girl, Rachel Corinne, are bad girls. And mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, you better watch it when you go to Florida. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's like, no, I've known them since kindergarten. <laughs> so they all, they've all known each other and they went to college together. Uh-huh. There's the frat party with these kids using all kinds of creative pipes and bongs, like a baby doll. Um, They're playing craps. They're playing craps. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hip hop music is playing. Lots of posturing. Like these kids are, you know, hard or whatever. And Brit gambles with the boys and she wins the whole pot, which I feel like is a foreshadowing for Brit and Candy's desire to dominate and overcome this like masculinity or they're they're like posturing above it the whole yeah. movie yeah um so they count their money and they realize they don't have enough for a spring break and faith is really upset because she really wants to get out of this town and see something different so this trip is a, <laughs> is kind of a different thing for faith she's she just wants to get out and see something else, get out of this town. And the other three girls just want to party. Yeah. So they decide, the three bad girls decide that they're uh-huh. going to rob a shitty restaurant and to get the money. And they're like, just pretend it's a video game. Uh-huh. Right? So what do you make of that idea of like just pretend it's a video game and they're listening to rap on the way right and they're listening to Nicki Minaj moment for life right um I think that's that's literally how um uh god (laughs) I'm like where do I even begin I mean yeah it's there's so much 
yeah, when when they're just like just just pretend it's a video game. I think that um the same like it evoked the same thoughts for me as like um like school shooters and generally when when white people want to like while out they'll be like <laughs> they'll be like yeah let's just like pretend like we're in call of duty or something right um because if you if you're able to separate yourself from that if you don't really have any motive besides like i want to have a really fucking good time <laughs> um there is something really like nihilistic about it you know there is i mean i feel like brit and candy are total nihilists like they don't care uh who's affected they don't they don't really think about anything in the long term i think they're all about like instant gratification um and the the chicken shack scene like it's it's kind of funny at first because it's them uh you wouldn't typically imagine i don't know the like the the girls working retail at like wet seal doing anything like that <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but it becomes like very chilling when they reenact it for faith because yes. faith doesn't she has no idea what they did because she doesn't really know what they're fully capable of like her her church friends tried to warn her they were like oh they they look demonic you know <laughs> right so, funny when they say that but i think what they mean is that like brick candy and Cotty, they have literally no motive in life besides just feeling good in the moment yes um and that's something that you know sets them apart from faith because she's constantly looking for god in like every interaction and in every even. scenario she's in because that's the only way that she'll allow herself to kind of like enjoy herself basically um i god this was such a good role for selena gomez i just have to say <laughs> I mean, she's really good in this role i mean when when they're telling her about how they robbed the chicken shag and we don't actually uh -huh. see them robbing it we see it through the car window cotty is the getaway driver which again mm -hmm. sets up this dynamic of cotty is kind of like along for the ride but ultimately like isn't really as nihilistic as yeah. candy and brit um and she watches the robbery from the car and that's how we see it which mm -hmm. i think is really interesting we don't really see the chaos of it until the end of the film uh, later mm -hmm. on in the film and when they're describing what they did faith is so horrified and her acting is really quite good in that part mm -hmm. um when she is just like kind of the slow creeping horror of like realizing who she's dealing with yep and then they, they also coerce her into taking a hit of the bong yeah <laughs> so faith is like on a downward she's on a downward spiral and we would typically like watch her get destroyed if this were like a typical downward spiral narrative but she's like fuck no i'm leaving um yeah like halfway through the film so also great line vanessa hudgens says seeing all this money makes my pussy wet <laughs> <laughs> which everybody was cracking up at in the theater, yeah. which I feel like is such, it's so interesting. This movie like set the tone for so much common parlance these mm -hmm. days. Like people just say that now. Like, yeah, 
I feel, I mean, like I said, this wasn't that long ago. It was like eight years ago. But that we weren't celebrating women taking control of their pussy and money even eight years ago. Like that is an extremely recent phenomenon. And I feel like this was part of that movement. <laughs> um yeah. So just to just to talk about what the overall energy of the moment was, um I in 2012, this was the year after I uh was on the organizing committee for both Slutwalk and Occupy Wall Street. Mm, what a time. <laughs> what a time. Um, I was definitely like a student of anarcho-feminism. So this shit was like, this was extremely my shit. Just seeing women with guns acting out. I was like, okay, I'm here for it. Uh, <laughs> but um but no, it's it's definitely more complicated than that, you know. I mean, I remember just associating uh, any kind of feminist action with sex workers at the time was extremely controversial. Yes. Um, I mean, slut walk was it was definitely like an imperfect movement. Um, it was definitely criticized because I mean especially in New York city, like we just, we had, I think there were two black women on the organizing committee and that was a failure of organization. Um, I think that slow walk ended up like, uh, evolving into something way more interesting and like, uh, challenging of the culture when like Amber Rose, like took it on herself and started doing her own slut walk marches in, uh, in Los Angeles. Um, but I, I think it's, it's a movement that originally was basically like, yeah, like nobody deserves to be raped because of how they're dressed, but also like sex workers, like deserve better sex workers deserve to be safe and to like live safe lives. And, um, that was so controversial just, just for, for sexual, openly sexual women to also argue that like we deserved to live safely was something so hard for most feminists to stomach. Um, so a movie like is. Springs and we're experiencing a huge is. backlash. I mean, yeah. It's true. No, we're, we're going through, I mean, this is, it's, it's a continuation. It's not like we can even split these up into really nice and neat eras. Um, but I just remember how much shit we got for saying that. Um, and I think about Spring Breakers and how many feminists, you know, um, wrote negative things about it. And I think that, you know, on the one hand, it was it was supposed to be um, a lot of it was like, I, I think the hard part for me after seeing it, the thing is, is that I enjoyed it when I saw it. Same. Um, and at the time I was like, I, I mean, I, I was like a lesbian. I was like, I'm not ever fucking men again. And, uh, and then my partner transitioned. So, that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, at the time I was like, I was like, no, I'm absolutely not fucking with guys again. And there are moments in the movie that are set up for 
you know, women to feel uncomfortable viscerally through the experiences of girls like Faith uh, and and Cotty, you know, who ends up getting shot midway because she just goes a little too far. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I feel like with the criticism of this white women as per usual were not ready to reckon with their own foolishness their own mm-hmm. cultural tourism totally and their own privilege in being able to be a slut so openly mm-hmm. absolutely and yeah it's just so it's so much more complicated than that i feel like we're more ready as a culture to analyze this film than we were when it came out i mean i always think things need Mm -hmm. like 10 years to percolate anyway um, before we can really understand the impact of it and i really think that this film was so inspired and heavily using like tumblr culture aesthetics at the time (laughs) and really set the tone and even though I don't think it could be made now, it really set the tone for a lot of the aesthetics that we get coming out of this film. Mm-hmm. So the girls take a party bus. So you said um, they go to St. Petersburg. I don't know why I thought it was Miami. Um, I think I just <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, yeah, it's Miami. Everybody goes to spring break for Miami. Uh, everybody <laughs> goes to Miami for spring break. So, But it's actually St. Petersburg. Um, and Faith gives us voiceover about how this place is special and spiritual. And, <laughs> and, there's, and it's like there's there's this voiceover contrasted with this montage of just like total debauchery. <laughs> that's like really funny and like you said she needs to be able to find spirituality and specialness and things to enjoy those things i mean she's actually searching for some kind of meaning in what happens and the other girls are just you know like you said they're just living in the moment um, yeah I feel like this is also this montage is like what every music video looked like in 2012. Yes. <laughs> and now this is when we first see James Franco playing riffraff type white rapper named Alien. He performs for a rapt crowd of white college students. Um, Alien also like in his performance talks about this being another world like Faith did in her voiceover. <laughs> yeah. Um. In the hotel pool, the girls are talking about how they never want to leave. Um, Cotty is inside doing a beer bong while Brit and Candy and Faith are in the pool. And I really ha- – like, this part really hurts me when Brit and Candy, like, mock Faith to her face. I mean, it's almost, like, so heavy-handed. Like, they're mocking Faith. They're mocking mm-hmm. God. Like, they're mocking – all of these things that she stands for and you know she's like i never want to leave i wish i could just like capture the feeling and they're you know they're making fun of her it's like this is the moment where we see that they don't really care about her that much (laughs) no they, they don't and i think that they they keep her around because it's like you know, I mean, she's useful to them. Like, she gave them, what, like, a hundred bucks or something? Yeah. Of her like, she was the only person who actually saved any money for this trip. 
<laughs> like they were fully planning on her to do it because she seems to be the most responsible one out of all of them. And I feel like everybody, there's always this friend, you know, in any high school group. Um, or, or I don't know. I mean, there's, there's always this like clique of girls where one of them is just like the, the good one who never wants to go too far. And then her, her friends are just kind of like, Oh, whatever. I don't care. Um, I definitely feel like I've been the faith in the group. There might've been a couple groups where I've been more of the cotty where as soon as it gets a little too real, I'm like, all right, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Never go like all the way with it. Um, but yeah, I definitely identified with faith a lot in this movie, especially because when she's uncomfortable, she's just straight up is like, she, she's real about it. She's like, I'm really uncomfortable and I want to go. She has great um, boundaries she does she really does yeah so there's a moment where faith is talking to her grandma again and there's like another voiceover (laughs) uh lots of faith voiceovers in the beginning of this film there's a a cute short moment where candy and brit are watching my little pony smoking joints <laughs> the presence of my little pony in this film i find very interesting i mean it was like such a controversial cartoon at the time i don't like because of bronies that bronies yeah and how it was like the feminist version of my little pony um but they're still very much young girls i guess is what it's yeah. getting at here yeah so the girls sing Britney Spears drunk in a parking lot, which is a harbinger. We're going to see Britney again later in the film. And (laughs) when we get to that point, I want to discuss more the role of Britney Spears in this film, because that's Mm -hmm. a big cultural conversation that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Candy, Brit, and Cotty kind of like posture like they're gangsters, and they tell Faith about how they robbed the restaurant, which we see in flashbacks, was actually quite messy and violent. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just like get in, get out, get what we need. They enjoyed destroying this restaurant and terrorizing the people in it. Yeah. Uh, so there's more partying, more drugs, harder drugs. It's amping up, right? There's some faux lesbianism, lots of faux <laughs> lesbianism in this film. Tiny little yeah. white butts shaking, so many tiny little white butts. And the girls get arrested in their bikinis for, I'm assuming, having a loud, raucous party in a hotel room. Um, Faith is the most upset, obviously. There's, like, some more voiceovers from her. Um, It's interesting that she has so many voiceovers because she's going to disappear from the film soon. Right. But her and Alien are the only two people that, like, narrate the film. Right. Uh. They're almost, they're foils to each other. They are. They're foils because they're totally different people, but they share this like spirituality of like this moment, like we're in it together now and we're, you know, we're feeling this thing together. So, Mm -hmm. which is very much catalyzed in that really disturbing party scene, which we're going to get to soon, where Alien tries to get uh, Faith to stay. Mm-hmm. So 
the girls go in front of the ju- a judge. They get fined, which they have to pay or they're going to spend two more days in county. But it appears that Alien is in court sitting in back taking a shine to our heroines. And <laughs> he bails them out, pays their fines. And Alien and his two cronies, the, the twins, those creepy twins, <laughs> they, <laughs> which interesting how – you know, just to mention, Alien talks about being the only white boy where he grew up, and yet his closest friends are also white. They're all white. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's – which is very telling of him as a person. Uh-huh. Um, he says everyone could use a little bailing out once in a while. Girls are still in their bikinis <laughs> as Alien mm-hmm. drives them off. All I kept thinking about was like how uncomfortable I would be just like in my bikini for the two many hours. Yeah. Two words: yeast infection. Exactly. <laughs> All I could think about. Exactly. <laughs> and it, the, yeah, they're so. But it's also like really funny because it illustrates how the, this constant party atmosphere. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. He asks them if they've been arrested before. He, you know, the girls are like enamored of him. Faith is totally unimpressed. Um, <laughs> the he talks. There's like one moment where he's like talking about the twins, and he's like, "Watch out for them. They're into double penetration." <laughs> <laughs> there's just like a lot. There's a lot of um nothing that happens in this film until a lot happens. Mm-hmm. A lot of. A lot of it is just like really funny dialogue like this. Yeah. Um, maybe. Oh, yeah. I also have this quote here. He's like, maybe I'm answering your prayers. You look 15, but you're pretty. You're all pretty. It's just <laughs> really creepy coming from James Franco. So creepy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. He really eased into this role. I mean, and even later, like Gucci playing Archie is like, you're hanging out with kids. Like right, yeah. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, Archie like really roasts him, and it's good because it's something that he does. It, it feels like Gucci Mane just says all of this shit that like we're thinking. You know, is also yeah, said, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, Alien shows off his guns. He talks about his sob story. I was the only white boy in my whole neighborhood. Um, <laughs> look at all my shit look at all my shit <laughs> he's yes the I got shorts in different colors yes <laughs> that scene nunchuck and he's like you know? I'm a G I'm a G so this is like we're, we're with his like cornrows and just like him posturing like oh this God. he's yeah. like what you would call back in the day a wankster like yeah he's people don't really use that term anymore but like he that's that's him uh he alien brings the girls to a hangout where we see not his closest associates but like his people in his circle people he knows are all black men Mm -hmm. so this is faith flips out to the girls privately that she wants to go home and i don't I see this moment as like the girls being actually confronted with blackness. I don't see Faith. Yes. Yeah, I don't see Faith as I feel like this was like the last straw for her almost. Yeah. 
Like, yeah, it was having to be around so many black people. That was yes. her last song. Yeah. And that's kind of it's it's interesting because you see that in that moment and that kind of makes you dislike her. And then mm-hmm. but you also so we're inclined. I mean, like while I was watching and I even found myself inclined to have less sympathy for her because mm-hmm. of that. I was like, oh, my God, girl, like get it together. Like she's like crying. She's you know, and the other girls are just kind of like, wow, like black people, which is not a great reaction either. Right. <laughs> and it's like there's the fetishization versus the fear uh-huh. catalyzed in that moment. And Faith, you know, she's like, I really want to go home. And this is when Alien and Faith talk. And he's like, I don't uh, – she's like, I don't like where we're from. So I thought if we came here, we could be free and have fun. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, we are having fun. Like – just it's like he's ordering her to do it and like i think a lot of us if you've been around men you you know exactly what the dynamic is like if they say that you're having fun then you better be having fun because if you're not you're in trouble you know your night is about to get or your day is about to get a lot worse if you're not having fun when they say to have fun but at the same time you know like i think faith obviously is very uncomfortable being around black people but she's also uncomfortable because it's like she's she's getting all the attention like alien fixates on her because yes. he thinks of her as somebody to convert the way that he like he's he's like a cult leader he immediately identifies her as the person that he needs to convince and i'm sure that like you know her pastor or even like she's been one of those people like say say if we're in this world of spring breakers like faith and her youth group probably have gone about it the same way where they identify the one like non-believer and they just like try their damnedest to con- to like convert them and That's so in point. this moment alien is trying to convert her to to his influence basically because he doesn't have to convince the other girls to like go along with him like he knows that they're there just for fun but he identifies faith as someone who's not going to you know acquiesce to whatever he wants to do so he like asks her to go and play pool you know all eyes are on her right and then a man asks to like go to the back of the house with him and she's like oh fuck no and then she has this like meltdown um so it's it's several things happening here and i think that the other girls they're just like so invested in being chill (laughs) even though you can tell that they're visibly like we've never been in a situation like this before exactly but they're trying so hard to be cool faith has no interest in pretending to be cool um Mm -hmm. she's you know and they're you know she's always like even my instinct, I was like, oh, there's always the one bitch who can't hang. You know, like there's always <laughs> the one girl who's like, I want to go home. Yep. And, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, she's – they're kids. Like she's mm-hmm. right. Like they came here to have fun with each other. I, You know, I can yeah. sympathize on either end too because I've been the person that's like, oh, my God, girl, chill. Let's have fun. And I've also yeah. been the person that's like, I didn't come here to hang out with boys. I came here exactly. to hang out with my friends. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. So I get both ends of it. I, th- I think it's just actually a really – brilliant scene now that we're talking about all the layers to it because there's this 
racism element. And then like there's also the fact that we have sympathy for her despite this. And yeah, there's just because Alien is a predator. So and we Mm -hmm. see that as adults watching this who know what that looks like. Um, So yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of layers, a lot of racialized gendered layers to this scene. Mm -hmm. So he's and he keeps saying like, I like you so much. Yeah, you can go home, but your friends are like, so they the girls send Faith home. Thus ends this chapter of Spring Breakers. Um, so this is when the girls become like sort of a polycule with Alien, (laughs) where yeah, he's what's also really funny. He's like rhyming at them on the pier. They don't really speak. <laughs> it's poetry in motion, y'all. <laughs> what he and they're all getting like touchy and flirtatious. He's like, "What did I do to deserve this?" Whatever. <laughs> and then there's the look at my shit speech, where he's like, yeah. some people want to do the right thing. I want to do the wrong thing. The wrong thing. Yeah. That's like something that somebody opens with, like in Mori, like one of the like badly behaved teens who goes in there like <laughs> what do we think his sign is alien sign i'm getting alien... a scorpio vibe scorpion i get like a sag uh or aquarius vibe because i feel like if anyone is high on the smell of their own farts it's Sag-ed like sagittarius yeah yeah yep yeah, oh or, or Aquarians. Right. I mean, he just like, I got all these shorts. I got, <laughs> like, he's just showing them all his stupid shit, talking about yeah. himself. He doesn't even know them. Like, they don't speak. They, at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, this, this is what it's like, like, being at, I mean, I don't even think it's like a Florida specific thing, but my God, like, how many times have I been at a fucking house party in Florida this and some guys being, just going on yeah, and on? I mean, this is just what being around men is like. Just yeah. like that they just <laughs> speak and you're just like, okay. And yeah. he, he, the three girls become like a, a hydra of sorts at this point where mm-hmm. they're not really indistinguishable from each other. Alien takes the trio for, to the strip club. And I have to say, this moment really sticks out to me because when I saw this in theaters, the audience, we had just spent the entire film watching tiny little white butts dance on screen and tiny white boobs. But as soon as we get to this scene with like thick black strippers, a bunch of losers in the audience were like, ew, I couldn't (sighs) believe it. I was like, yeah. Y'all, we've been looking at naked bodies this entire movie. Yeah. I mean. No, they just had to be skinny. Right, exactly. So, but it also, like, this is going to come up later, too, when we meet. So we meet Gucci Mane, who plays Archie. And Archie, the women that he's having sex with in his group sex scenarios are buxom, voluptuous women. And the grown women. They are grown women. And mm-hmm. Alien is interested in children and mm-hmm. these 20-year-old girls. So 
it's a really stark, deliberate contrast <laughs> for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Otherwise, like, why would we have those two group sex scenes right next to each other? Um, mm-hmm. Archie, Alien refers to him as his best friend, but Archie is like, I don't give a, really care about you. He's like, yeah, <laughs> he's like, you taught me how to swim once. <laughs> no, Archie, I think just like mind, uh, or sorry, Alien mind his personality from Archie, yes. you know, was just like his shadow for a long time. And of course, you know, at some point, like it's going to be, uh, of course, their their paths diverge because, you know, how how would Archie go about robbing all of these kids at spring break like doing on their spring break vacation you know someone like alien would blend in a lot better uh alien and and his polycule of college girls so. right exactly he uses him for that i mean and the the conflict mm-hmm. they're having right now is like i don't even want to call it a turf war because i feel like that insults archie it's more that archie mm-hmm. is like you're making things too hot like yeah, you're take, you're you're giving too much presence to this operation, and he's like, you need to stay away and go back to doing what white boys do. He says, <laughs> <laughs> and right then, this is when we first hear the voiceover of uh, Alien saying, "Spring break." <laughs> <laughs> he he talks about how he wants to kill Archie. Um really gross Vanessa Hudgens and James Franco kiss I have here in my notes um alien <laughs> and the girls like make out all over the money but Cotty is kind of like off from the fray which is foreshadowing of her role uh-huh. and Brit and okay this scene though when Brit and Candy menace alien with the guns and <laughs> and alien like like they're gonna they pretend like they're gonna shoot him and they're standing over him with the guns and alien sucks off the girl's guns like dicks. And yes. it's a really hot scene. <laughs> yeah. I was really into it and it's <laughs> they're all three very good in it. And he's like afterwards, he's like, I swear to God, I just fell in love with y'all. <laughs> Y'all are my soulmates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you like get from those two characters from that scene from Candy and Brit? I I think that you know they they go through the entire movie just acting like they're in a video game. Like everything is a simulation to them. Uh, I <laughs> it would be incredible if they'd ever like you know. Uh, if if they had like a copy of like Baudrillard just like sitting around in, okay. <laughs> in their hotel room or something. Um no, they they pretty much like treat everything like a simulation. And in that moment, it's like once they realize that uh that alien is like already enamored with them, he thinks that they're harmless. Like we haven't really heard any like complicated opinion come from them like they haven't really voiced any no they just let him speak and be crazy let him speak all the time and then it suddenly comes as a shock when they finally wield the guns and they're not holding those like squirt guns anymore but they treat it like the squirt guns like they think it's all it's all play for them um and i i feel like there's 
there, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> in the, I, I guess if, if you're like heterosexual, then like it's, it's a really subversive scene to see like a man sucking, a sucking off a gun, like he's sucking a dick, but um, but at the same time, it is, it is interesting. It's a very interesting way for them to like play with this, like with, with these like phallic objects. Um, I realize that there are more words I can use to describe it than interesting. I feel like I'm in undergrad again, but. <laughs> well, I did just thrust this question on you. <laughs> like, tell me. No, no, no. But I, I, I think in, in a way, like they are, um you know, they're, they're playing with these more dominant roles and it's something that they can't see themselves do in any other avenue in their lives. You know, they're not even, they're like barely in college. They're physically there, but they're not mentally there. They have no plan. They're all about just getting what they want in the moment. And so in this moment, they just like want to, I feel like what they do is they constantly test the boundaries you know, and they just like keep pushing and pushing to see how far they can go until the very end of the movie when they've really gone as like far as they can. And I think, yeah, exactly. And what's interesting to that point about the gun, the dick gun scene to me (laughs) is that it illustrates how not serious and how playful this is for them while at the same time showing how dead ass serious Alien is because Mm -hmm. putting your... Playing with the gun, holding it around is one thing. Putting your mouth on the gun mm-hmm. is a whole other thing. Like, he is in it. Like, he is yeah. serious. And they, they're they just going with it. And they haven't quite realized how serious this is yet, basically. Yeah. And I think that moment is a very interesting way of showing how serious alien is about this Mm -hmm. um and even like we laugh like oh the straights to the straights this is subversive um but (laughs) it's guns (laughs) right but it's still it does read as subversive to me um Mm. just because of the implications the coded implications here of like he's symbolically subjugating himself to them showing Mm -hmm. him that he showing them that he is really in it like he's serious um so they're like a full-on polycule now all right so the, (laughs) the, the 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 scene that everyone talks about where there's a piano next to the pool and James Franco is playing the piano next to the pool and the girls mm-hmm. come out in matching bathing suits with sweatpants that say DTF on the butt and <laughs> pink ski masks and guns. And James Franco, they're like, talk about something and like play something inspiring or something. And James Franco is like, I'm going to play a little song by Britney Spears. The greatest voice, one of the greatest voices that we have. And he plays the sad Britney Spears song. Uh, it was called Every Time. Every Time, yeah. yeah. And he sings it. And then we get this, like, bleeds into Britney singing it. And we get this slow motion sequence of the polycule robbing people. Okay. <laughs> 
Brittany, what do you, you're, you are the music journalist. <laughs> what is Britney Spears's role in this film as a, as a presence, as a musical presence? I think that the, you know, around this time I had, let's see, um, I'm trying to remember when Britney shaved her head. It was in 2007, mm-hmm. and I think I might have been in college when this happened. But I feel like this was the post-Britney meltdown era when she finally was like, fuck it. Like, I'm not posing for anyone anymore. I'm not smiling for anyone anymore. Um, she just, like, she did a series of, like, very impulsive actions which i think ultimately you know became um like i I, i'm not saying that she deserved this at all but what what i'm saying is that they became like the reason for her um to be basically kept on lockdown for the rest of her life you know under her father in this like conservator oh my god conservatorship conservatorship yes um very difficult word to say uh for some reason but yeah her conservatorship like basically it it, it was like a sentence um for her and um it was after this string of you know volatile uh actions that she took um you know like driving around with her kid in the in the front seat you know um doing i mean people framed her as like you know losing her mind but ultimately i mean she was also sick of just her privacy constantly being um invaded at all times like she didn't have any privacy um she was just like losing a lot of it it felt like she was fighting back against this like um just lack of autonomy for herself, you know? Um, She was barely able to make her own decisions before the conservatorship. And now she can't make, you know, almost any decisions by herself. And it's cruel. And I think that this was, you know, in this time when this movie was being made, like we were seeing Britney really try and figure out what freedom meant to her. you know, she was she was doing all kinds of things to just feel free in the moment, like shaving her head, you know, because her hair was everything. Her hair was part of her image. It was probably like the first thing that anyone fixated on when they got her ready, you know, to be seen, uh, to be on stage. And she just fucking set it aflame, which was really meaningful. And I for, for a lot of people, not just women either, um, it was sort of her declaration of independence. So I feel like Britney Spears in this movie is kind of like an avatar for like the sort of, um, you know, the, the caged bird that I think a lot of women feel they are, or like, you know, or queer people the way that a lot of queer people feel. Um, Generally, so many people, I think, can identify with that. So here, I mean, they they love Britney Spears. And I, I think that she just serves as this sort of, like, they kind of channel that spirit, granted, in a more, like, <laughs> criminal way. Right. Um, 
but it's like but that yeah, over I, I, it like fuck it kind of thing yeah exactly it's that fuck it energy that they're really going for um so yeah yeah i mean it's very much because we don't see britney spears in the film we don't even see an image of her at it's all very yeah it's very much symbolic it's what she represents more so exactly when they're singing baby hit me one more time earlier in the film in the parking lot that's more of the britney era that they grew up with of you know Mm -hmm. like fun pop star britney and now they've transitioned into fuck shit up britney yes exactly (laughs) um archie discusses with his people that alien is bringing too much heat on them and he needs to take care of him so archie stops alien while he's out driving he's like where the fuck have you been i haven't even heard from you um Mm -hmm. he's with the girls and archie shoots them shoots at them hitting cotty in the arm lots of slow motion the music reminded me a lot of the neon demon actually i wonder i didn't actually look it up but i wonder if it's the same composer Mm. um alien takes the bullet out of Cotty's arm and tells her he's gonna he cares about her and he's not gonna let archie get away with it um just like more posturing like you don't even know her like archie actually knows the people around him yeah Uh, because he's careful like ultimately you know alien is sloppy and he's trying to be him he's yeah. trying and failing to be him even when we see our Ar- uh, archie's house it's mm-hmm. so much bigger than alien's house and so like aliens is like fake nice right like it's got <laughs> it's got like the that stu- the horrible carpeting uh-huh. in it and like re- it's really messy whereas mm-hmm. archie's house is like actually nice because he's <laughs> really about that life like he's yeah, really he about stacking his wealth and protecting his people so cotty is cries in the shower slow motion with an orange filter and <laughs> a lot of this movie is like purely vibes and, yeah uh she's like spring breaks over she wants to go home she's done it got too real for her mm-hmm one of my favorite scenes alien is psychotically playing like a discordant note on the piano in the dark while pointing a gun blood on his hands yeah with blood on his hands and like singing that four little chickies song mm-hmm. <laughs> four little chickies came down like it's just whatever it's so weird yeah he's like, like narrating what's happened to them um and <laughs> Cotty is like everyone's going back to their lives now. There's mm-hmm. more fantasy spring break sequence. Cotty goes home. Alien resolves to kill Archie. <laughs> Alien, Candy, and Brit have a threesome in the pool. <laughs> and which goes on for so long, which and again goes to my point that this movie is just vibes. <laughs> 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 and but what's interesting about the threesome scene, too, is you can see Brit and Candy. I don't know. What do you make of it? Do you feel like they're actually, like, really enjoying this? Or are they kind of, like, playing a part here? What did you think of that scene? I I feel like Brit and Candy, I feel like they're they're probably, like, 
they probably think of themselves as like the same person, you know, right. They have one of those like intense friendships where they operate as like a unit. I mean, you rarely see one of them without the other. Um, and you know, I don't know, they, they could be in love with each other. They could just be playing around like, they but seem at the same very time, in love with each other. In this scene. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like we all know like straight girls like that, though. Like there's always some, you know, pairing of straight women who are just like inseparable. And I mean, even, you know, they even share this guy. They become his twins, like his twin goons eventually. But they're they're just doppelgangers. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The twin goons foreshadow them. That's a really good point. They absolutely do. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, it's not as deep as like, oh, they're, they use this man to like be able to express their love for each other. I think it's yeah. more what you're saying, where they really don't see themselves as separate people. Like, mm-hmm. they have an intense enmeshed relationship. So, meanwhile, Gucci Mane is also having group sex. Um <laughs> <laughs> where he said something so funny that I had to pause the movie and cry laughing because he's like this woman is like riding him and he's like feels like you're playing piano on my dick like you're playing Mozart, Mozart. <laughs> <laughs> this contrast though of like the like it comes directly after this threesome scene so it's obviously yeah. a contrast um yeah. What do you, what is the contrast here? Like, what do you make of it, if anything? I mean, obviously, the women look very different. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I, I think it's just like, it speaks to the, the worlds that they occupy, you know, and aliens all about like having living this, this fantasy. Um, whereas, like, this is, this is Gucci's life or this is Archie's life where yeah. he's, it's not – he's yeah. just living it. He's – Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's also very – it's shot very differently too and the tenor of it yes. is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, la- the last scene was very much like a movie cinematic and this is kind of just like a Thursday for Archie. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, so Britt and Candy call their moms, which I find this scene like very disturbing because I know the ending – um, mm-hmm. And Candy tells her mom that she is coming home and she's going to be the best she can be, which we don't believe for a second. No. And then the polycule hops on a motorboat on the way to murder Archie. Archie is still living it up with babes. Um, <laughs> the girls roll up to Archie's in bikinis and ski masks and they start mowing people down, complete with Faith's voiceover from the beginning. Very ironic, <laughs> Harmony Corinne. <laughs> There's some moments of this film where I'm like, okay, we get it. We get it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there's the orchestral version of the Skrillex song from the beginning um, (laughs) as the girls shoot and kill Archie. So we begin the movie with Candy and Britt ignoring a lecture about Reconstruction Era South and Black people's struggle for freedom. And we end with them killing Black people. I mean, it's extremely mm-hmm. pointed. Mm-hmm. So we end with this montage of dead bodies and the the spring break fantasy scene from the beginning. The girls have 
did the girls murder Alien or did he just get caught up in the shooting? I, I think they murdered him. Yeah. So they shoot him and then they drive away in his car into the sunrise and thus ends Spring Breakers. So what do you make of this ending? Why do they kill him? Um, I I feel like, you know, like like what I said before, I feel like um alien presents himself as this like spiritual leader you know and i don't think that you know i I think that they could have stuck around with him but what would have happened you know he would have just continued to keep them kind of like as pets and but at the same time they couldn't keep living a life like that like I, i think they were attracted to the like extravagance of it they were attracted to the decadence but they also knew that like i mean i I don't know what they knew but i feel like they probably figured that their days with him had to be numbered if they were to continue like enjoying it you know and at the same time being associated with alien it's like archie's people probably would have had them killed like they clearly didn't die in the car the first time Archie's goons like shot at them or he he had one guy who who shot at the girls so like clearly they survived but they probably knew that they would not have survived if like I mean I I think they called their moms because they knew there was a possibility that they would get shot dead right Um, so I, I think it also just it goes back to like the nihilism like I think these girls really do live in the moment and when it came to you know the end scene where they shoot everybody except for the two women who were in the bathroom with Archie I was like whoa yeah (laughs) they leave them alive yeah 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 they like kill all the men but then it's like these two women get to survive but I was still like really angry because it was like you know again these these women are tourists in this like gangster culture and they're gonna keep being tourists like they they didn't get caught the first time that they robbed a chicken shack and i don't think they get caught when they (laughs) when they shoot up this entire like compound um yeah they drive away where do you think they're going are they going back to school like i don't think so i I don't think so they're on life of crime style Thelma and Louise, but yeah. shittier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like terrible people. <laughs> right. It just feels like they're like, okay, on to the next grift. Like on to the yeah, next exactly. thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and they learned a lot from Alien, but they could only like learn so much. Right. They were yeah. like, all right, we're done with you. Goodbye. Yeah. But, and that's how they treat everyone. They treat people as disposable. They treated their two friends as disposable. They didn't care about their comfort mm-hmm. or boundaries or anything. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much, Susie, for hanging out with me for an hour and a half and talking about this movie. <laughs> um, where can people find you on social media? Um, on Twitter, my handle is hex positive and uh on Instagram, my handle is Bruja Core. Amazing. I've been a fan of you for a long time. I'm very excited to have you on the show. Please come back another time. 
And you all know where to find me, Twitter and Instagram at Girls Guts Jallo. Follow my Patreon, patreon.com slash Girls Guts Jallo. We have bonus episodes. Wait, it's just me. Bonus episodes, uh, screenings, <laughs> newsletter. Um, and again, that's patreon.com slash Girls Guts Jallo. And thus ends this episode of the podcast. I'll see you later, Susie. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks again for having me on and talking about Florida shit. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And one day it. we'll have to one day we'll have to talk about more about goth shit. I feel like we still have that on the agenda. One day. <laughs>